Hello and welcome to Relatable. This is your host, Teresa Freeman. Boy, do we have a treat for you. In this episode, we talk with Glenn Anderson, a radio host at Star 102 in Cleveland, Ohio. Glenn has 25 years in radio and gives us an inside look at what it's like to be an on-air personality and what it takes to produce a show every day. We discussed how he transitioned from being the number two or number three to being the number one guy hosting the afternoon radio program. During our discussion, Glenn shares how creating music parodies was a key differentiator in a super competitive and tough industry. We talk about getting arrested for a comedy bit and how embracing your strengths, even if they might have been used as a target for bullying, is liberating. This interview is chock full of great advice and is full of heart. Enjoy this episode. So tell me about being a radio host. Tell me what it's like to give me, if you can, I think people, obviously, it's an interesting job in that we have one view of it as an audience member or as somebody that's listening in and and can have our own ideas of what that is. But given it's your profession and it's your job, tell us a little bit about what that's like maybe a day in the life. I think it's a job where depending on your ego and depending on how you approach it, can mean many different things to many different people. Uh, I always took kind of an oath when I got into radio that I didn't want to get into radio because I wanted the glory or the adoration. I got into radio because there was an opportunity to be able to do things that other people couldn't do to be able to help out the community. Mm. Like for example, if there was a, a big fundraiser that was going on that somebody was having, you know, some child was sick, And they wanted to get the word out because when i started there was no social media right the only way that you can get that word out was through you know the radio or through the tv so i thought what an awesome opportunity to be able to go and be the voice of a lot of different people so that people could actually hear all that stuff now there were a lot of things that came from being in radio that was the cool part of the job but that was the part that was the most rewarding i would go and i would talk to people when I first started that my first shift was I had the 4 a.m. to 6 a.m. job on Q104 in Cleveland. Nobody listened. (laughs) I mean, absolutely nobody. I was talking. (laughs) I didn't even know the mic was on sometimes. But every once in a while, I would get a call. And I remember one time I got a call from a woman who was really down on her luck. And we talked a little bit that night. And then she called back the next night. And then she called back the next night. And then I found out that she was uh, she was disabled and she was having a rough go at it and she wanted to end her life. And uh. I kept talking with her and not counseling her because I'm not a counselor. I'm just somebody who was a voice. Right. And she ended up sending me all of a sudden the conversation had stopped and I got worried. But then she sent me a card to the radio station a couple of months later saying, hey, you'll never understand how important those couple of conversations were because I was really at the end of my rope and nobody wanted to talk to me and you did and you were there at that time of the night 
and I appreciate you for it. And I'm in therapy now and I'm, I'm where I need to be. So thank you for being that catalyst. And it was at that moment that I said, Hey, this job could actually go and help people right. rather than be a job where I get to fulfill some of my dreams and of meeting famous people and actually do good. So the, the desire to be in radio and a day in the life is with that frame of mind yeah. where I could actually go and find that next person or somebody who actually cares rather than talking up the ramp of a song or talking about this famous person that I met. It becomes more of a responsibility than just a, something that looks glamorous on the outside. Wow, that's really cool. I think that to see it as a platform and then to be able to use it in a way that you feel like you're getting fulfillment and that you can reach people. I think that's amazing. That's great. Tell us a little bit then about your path to getting your own show. And I mean, you said you, you, you've been in radio for 25 years. How many years? I, I just started my 25th year. Yeah. So that's a long time in radio, right? And I, I know a little bit just because of my friend Jake that I was telling you about that's at WTOP, but I, and I also just know anecdotally from being a listener that you're like one day you'll be listening to your you know morning crew and then the next day that the, like three of the people are gone and there's like no conversation about like where they went it's it's like such a it seems like such a cutthroat business and so for you to be there for 25 years with you know in this say i think at least locally locally you're in cleveland right so maybe you've been there that whole time and tell me a little bit about that path for you and what this is like a double question, like what are some of the success factors, right, that for you to be able to kind of maintain your livelihood doing that and, and staying with, with radio that long? I have asked myself that same question because so many people, in fact, everybody that I graduated with in college that have started at the same time that I have uh, are no longer in radio. In fact, there's not a lot of people that are doing radio right now because the business is changing so much. Yeah. I'd like to think that how I approach the job might be a little bit different than how a lot of other people have approached the job. Like for example, when I went to broadcasting school, I, I think a lot of people that go to broadcasting school when they spend the amount of money that it costs to go to a specialized course, which is what I did. I didn't go to college. I didn't take a four-year communication course. I took a broadcasting course. Mm -hmm. And at the time it was 12 months and it was almost $7,000, which was a lot of money back then, still is. But now that same course is over $20,000 to do. And I think when people go and spend $20,000 for a year to learn broadcasting, and because it's not Princeton, you know, Princeton, you go and you expect to spend a whole ton of money, not knowing if you're going to get a job. Me, and when you go through a specialized course, you expect to work. So a lot of kids that have lost their way that don't know what it is that they want in life. They're like, well, I like listening to the radio. I could host a podcast. I could do yeah. this. So now I just need to have some of the credentials and then it's going to come my way. And when you go and you approach life or anything that way with the expectation that it's just going to be handed to you, it just, it doesn't happen. Yeah. And even if you are lucky enough to get a job because of that, it's not going to sustain you because you have that attitude of you owe me and nobody owes you right. and everybody's replaceable. And you hear that stuff all the time, but you really are replaceable. <laughs> I'm replaceable. You're yeah. replaceable. Everybody in radio is replaceable. So you have to go at it with the same mindset. And I think back then 
you know, I started in 1996. Radio was a much different platform back then. Right. There wasn't competition from Pandora and from Amazon Music and Spotify and all these other ways to consume music. And now there is. So, you know, there's been a huge transition as to how people go and consume their entertainment. And I think the the key to longevity is it's not rocket science. It's making sure that you form relationships, but making sure that those relationships are authentic mm-hmm. and making sure that you're not necessarily going and, and ground nosing the people that you think are going to get you ahead, but talking to those people and learning from them because you truly want to get ahead because you're, you're doing it for the right reasons. So the business has changed, but I also think there's so much more opportunity now because I think there's room for everybody. Yeah. Radio is, that was the only way that people could consume music back then. And then all of a sudden there was social media. So people got that and YouTube and everything else, but there's room for everybody because there's something different that all the different things give you. So that's, that's why I feel that if you have the right attitude, you could actually succeed and, and stay in the business. When you mentioned that you are like a number, the number two or their number three, are you considered part of that unit? So whoever the, the number one person is, mm-hmm. you're associated with that person. So if, yeah. if that person goes, typically do other people follow? Or is that fact that you were an outstanding number two, number three, do you think that contributed a bit to your longevity? The fact that like you could easily adapt? Like, I guess maybe the question is like, how many number ones did you go through right before you became number one is maybe the better way to. (laughs) We had a total of 14 different morning shows that I was a part of. And morning shows, they don't necessarily change all that often because for a radio station, there's a lot that goes into that. So not only do they have to change the number one, but a lot of times it's the number one who, at least in my case, was a guy, can't get along with number two, who was the girl. And there's there was always that conflict. Number one thought that it was very, very ego-driven. Right. Number two was very trying to scratch their way, claw their way to the top to be noticed a little bit more. Number one puts down number two, number two feels bad, goes to management, uh, needs to go and find a way that everybody is on an equal playing field. They weren't on an equal playing field. It never was. For the majority of the time that I was doing morning radio, number two would get upset, number two would leave, and then they would go and try to find another one because they wanted to make number one happy. Mm. And it's just, a lot of it was sad and a lot of it was just way that it was at that time right it just it it was that case not necessarily at any of the morning shows that i had but all of them it's such an ego driven job that you have to face it without an ego in order to be able to survive Mm. my role was never one of ego because i never had my name on the billboards and i never had my name mentioned unless it was something that i was doing if i was out on the street and I did this crazy thing, then I would get mentioned. I've written funny songs my whole life that got me into radio. So then I would get my time in the in the spotlight during, you know, at that moment. But other than that, nobody really cared. So I was important when I needed to be important, but then I was in the background most of the other time, which allowed me to be able to escape a lot of the drama that would happen between male co-host, female co-host, and all the drama that goes in with that because 
morning radio is such a microcosm of any family and you're in such a small studio for five plus hours, you're talking constantly with these people. They become closer than your than your normal right. family, which means there's more drama than your household right now during COVID when everybody's at home. <laughs> and it, um, yeah, I just, I just, I didn't want to be a part of it. And I, luckily, I was just kind of on the outskirts of all of it. If the main host had a problem, I'd be like, yeah, man, I understand. That, that's terrible. And then if the female, if the female host had a problem, I'd be like, oh, that's, I understand. <laughs> That, man, it's terrible. So I kind of rode that I'm going to be Switzerland for a little while. But I did that because everybody had their points. Yeah. And everybody were, were valid in thinking that way. But it was because I wasn't tied to any one thing. It allowed, I think, a lot of the longevity. Yeah. And I also think that I brought things to the show that were important in terms of them trying, you know, them trying to get ratings and things like that. Right. So between you know, some of the talents that I may have had that other people did not have and my ability to be able to kind of walk the line. I think that's what it uh, contributed to the longevity, but I wasn't trying to be tactful. I was trying to go and be considerate and understanding and sympathetic because everybody's got a point Yeah. at your job. If somebody comes to you and says, Hey, I don't like what so-and-so did. And you might be friends with so-and-so, but you could also sympathize with how they might feel. Yeah. So, you know, you just you want to be sympathetic and you want to listen to people. And our job as announcers is more about listening than talking. We all think that everybody wants to hear our voice. They don't, especially this voice, because I sound like a muppet. And I was made fun of my entire life because of my voice. So the fact that I actually are making a living with my voice is very ironic. That is. So then I have two follow up questions. One what has shifted for you now that you are the you are the name like it's been a few years now that you've been in that role so i'm curious how that's shifted for you and then maybe it has maybe it hasn't like maybe you're still the same guy but i mean i would i would think like having the responsibility of the show and there's a bit more pressure i'm curious how that feels for you and and is it like you're embracing it because you wanted it maybe for a while and right or is there some pressure on there that you're like, hmm, maybe being number two wasn't so bad. <laughs> and then uh, and then I don't I really want to talk to you, too, about your music and your interest in music and, and lyric writing and things like that. The only thing that I think the, the new job has given me is perspective with everything. I know the amount of pressure that it takes. Yeah. And being able to understand all the roles. Um, I know when I talk to people, I don't necessarily look myself as being any uh, different or any better or any worse uh, before COVID. And there were all the remotes and stuff that we would go on as a radio station. A, a lot of people would walk into those and, you know, you have the people that set up everything. And now I'm, I'm the big, I'm the big radio announcer. So I'm just going to walk in and I'm going to talk to people and I'm going to shake hands and I'm going to use my radio voice and then I'm going to go and I'm going to wave goodbye. And that's how a lot of people approach it. And I just, I never look at it that way because I worked my way up. And I think working your way up in any business is so incredibly important because if you're just placed in a position, you have no perspective on everybody else that is also contributing to your job. If you're working at Amazon, Jeff Bezos is important because of all the people behind him that are doing work. So all the people that are working in the factories 
are just as important as him and all the higher ups making their six figures and seven figures right because it takes an army and i've just i've always approached my job that way that nobody is is more important and not because that's something that's nice to say or i should be saying that because of my role i actually feel that way yeah and i'll get in there and i'll get my hands dirty and i'll, I'll do stuff along with everybody else and i'll be like wow why are you helping out nobody else helps out yeah, I, was like, I don't know. That's that's how I was raised, and that's what we should be doing. Yeah, that's what everybody should be doing. When people start believing any hype in their head and start acting accordingly, that's that that is the key to your downfall. Yeah. And that is your key to not getting the respect from other people. I yeah. always want respect from people, and I, I just I I strive for that. And one way to do it is to not think that you're any better than anybody else. I think, you know, you're talking a lot about humility, right? I just had a conversation with someone earlier today. I do a lot of consulting work, and there's some personnel issues. And it's interesting. When people become more senior in the corporate world, similarly, the the ego just seems to follow. And it it escapes me how people can't, you know, they just forget. They have an amnesia about the first 15 years of their career because maybe they had to fight for it. And so now once they arrive... They feel like other people need to go through those same kind of gates. I, I don't know, but well, it's because there it's because there's probably a little bit of a bitterness when it comes to that. Right. I had a boss one time that said, "You know what? You need to be more famous." I said, "What do you mean?" He's like, "You, you don't you don't act famous enough." Uh, what does that mean? He said, "You need to be," and this was like the beginning of social media. You need to be telling people how famous you are and where you're going and what you're doing and who you're interviewing and talking about what you had for breakfast. You, you just need to act more famous. You, you don't act famous enough. And there was, there was a small point where I'm just like, well, I, I guess I don't. So um, I would talk about, uh, well, here's, here's what I had for breakfast. And uh, uh, here's, here's where I'm going. And here's who I interviewed. And I, I made it all about me. And I try to act the role. And I was just like, nobody cares that much. Nobody cares that much about you. I get social media in the sense of having to promote a brand. Right. Like that's extremely important because we all have brands and we're all trying to be successful. But if your success is all look at me instead of what it is, could I do for you? That's where I have the problem with social media to me should be a combination of ways that you could actually help people rather than draw attention to yourself. Because what, what does that do for anybody? Yeah. If I'm going on vacation right now in COVID, number one, everybody's going to be irritated with me. People are going to feel jealousy. There may be a few people who are like, oh, good for you because they like me. But a lot of the people, it's going to incur negative feelings. Whereas if I could use social media to promote things that would benefit other people that might be struggling or be able to help them or give them a laugh or give them a recipe or give them positive advice or give them a podcast that encourages them. To me, that's where the medium really works. Right. I think that's so that's such great advice. And I feel like, you know, I think you have three young kids. I, I have three boys. Missy's got four kids. And so we're all... <laughs> contributing to the future population yeah and they're this whole social media thing i think is going to be a huge exercise for them to figure out um how to maybe unwind and and manage some of the stuff that's to your point i feel like there's been some phenomenal 
things that have happened. I had a friend whose child was sick at one point, and that network was paramount in her daughter's being seen and helped. And that's like social media at its best. And then that's that's the beauty. Yeah, for sure. My daughter comes to me and says, hey, I just got 10 more likes than I did yesterday. (laughs) How how do you, I mean, how do you change that thought process? How do you try to tell them that, hey, there's actually other things that you could do. And I think a lot of that comes with maturity right. and they're young and they're, they're doing their TikTok dances and it's all about all of that, which, uh, you know, is, is a whole other topic. Tell me about your um, music. So you're, you talked that you went to broadcast school. So I'm curious about like your love for music, your background in music. And then you said you write lyrics and they're, it's, it's kind of satire, right? I read that like Weird Al is like a, has given you some props yeah, and stuff. Yeah, I got to perform in front of him. That's pretty amazing. So just tell awesome. me, exactly. yeah, tell me about exactly. that. Well, I went to, I went to school for music because I think sometimes people, when they start going down the career path about what it is that they want to do, they start thinking what might be the easiest route or what am I kind of interested in? What seems like a good idea at the time? And then they go and they do that. And at the time, all I was doing was playing. I was in bands, I, I played piano, and I thought to myself, well, I might as well just go in and, and be a piano teacher because that just seems like the next logical step. It's the easiest route and I'm pretty passionate about it. So uh, I enrolled uh, at the University of Akron here and my teacher happened to be the great, great, great granddaughter of Franz Schubert, the famous classical composer. Relatable is sponsored by Teresa Freeman Associates, your one-stop shop for soft skills development, speaking, coaching, and workshops. If you'd like to hire Teresa, visit www.teresafreemanassociates.com for more information. Whoa! I was beyond in awe knowing this. And I got to talking with her one day and she says, so you want a career in music? You want to be a piano teacher? I said, yes, I do. And she said, I moved here from California because the University of Akron here in Ohio is so amazing and they were able to pay a lot more than a lot of the other schools. And I said, that's fantastic. If you don't mind me asking you, what is your schooling and stuff? So to me, if you have that kind of lineage in your right. world, you don't even need to go to school at all. Right, you right. Have to say, hey, here I am, hire me. And uh, she said, well, she says, I have a doctorate of music, which is a minimum of 14 years. And it's like being a doctor of, of, of oh, medicine. Man. And this was, this was the late 90s, or no, this was the early 90s. And she said, uh, I was making 30, $37,000 a year she was making because of her advanced schooling. And so I thought to myself, like, ah, all that schooling and you're not even making 40 grand and that was back then. We gotta, we gotta go and try something different. So I stopped and then I, I went into, you know, trying to go into cooking school because I was working at a nursing home at the time and I was cooking for residents. So I thought that that would be the next logical step as well because this is what I was doing. And I think so many people go down this line of, just choosing what they think that they may like instead yeah. of actually feeling the passion. Because I was never passionate about any of those things. It just kind of seemed to make sense. So it all kind of changed. And I realized that the passions that you have in life, you don't necessarily need to make a career out of it. You need to be able to find ways 
to indulge those passions. If you can make money at it, great. Yeah. A lot of people can't. But if you can find ways to have that outlet, then you're going to feel satisfied with whatever it is that you do. And it just so happened that once I got into radio, I kind of brought some of the, the music to the to the morning show and helped start doing some of the parody songs. And the, the, the Indians were, uh, they were in the playoffs in the early 90s. And so they needed somebody to play piano for some of those parody songs. And I said, hey, I know your guy. I'm the one that could do it. And, uh, and so I started doing that. And then it just kind of took off from there. But music was what kept me from being different than everybody else. Yeah. Can I ask a question? Oh, I'm sorry, just about the lyrics. So is it something that comes very easy to you? Like, are you composing the music and the lyrics? Or is it usually like campy kind of music, like melodies that you're familiar with, and then you're creating funny? Well, no, early on, I would go and write all of my own thing. And then as, as time progressed, I realized that that can kind of go into into the whole parody form. And and parody is going and taking a, a popular song and then just changing the lyrics to it and okay. making it, you know, relevant in the moment. You know, so anything that, that happened in the news, whether it's Kim Kardashian and Britney Spears or um, just, just anything that was happening, I would just go and, and, and change the lyrics ah. and, and do that. And it just became a little niche of mine. And I just kind of carved that out because nobody else was kind of doing it at the time, especially, you know, in our market. So I just kind of took advantage of it and they took advantage of it as well. So that's that's what helped uh, keep me in there. Yeah, I think that's it's so cool. Like you had this niche thing and it was also I mean, I'm, I'm sure just after spending this time with you, like that combined with your optimism and it seems like your just willingness to be part of a team like those things. Those are great qualities I think to help with that longevity tell me a little bit I just thought of this like I'm curious about the prep that goes into your show so pulling that off you're on for four hours right or five hours so four hours hours. so tell me just a little bit about like if someone's considering this path right now you're kind of at the mountaintop like what goes into on the daily (laughs) preparing for that Uh, I think it all depends on the type of show that you have yeah have a news talk show uh, I think the preparation is a little bit different if you have more of a pop culture type show I think the prep is a, is a little bit different that way as well uh, our main audience on star 102 here in Cleveland uh, we broadcast to 25 to 54 year old women that's our main demo and one of the advantages of having a demo within those boundaries is the fact that Radio is something that they, to, to be informed, they're, they're not on their phones as much as maybe some of the younger demo. Some of the, the top 40 stations, they, they have so many different ways to consume hmm. the type of uh, information that they need to what's going on. So like, for example, Kim Kardashian got divorced today. Uh, she filed all the papers. and I didn't even know that. I know. I know. <laughs> they're, they're working on... Uh, uh, dividing out who, how much uh, Kanye gets with uh, uh, child visitation and stuff. Uh, very sad. Uh, anyways, um, the younger demo is going to be aware of all of that because they're constantly on their phones. So it poses a different situation for younger, uh, for broadcasting the younger people than it does uh, to people that may be a little bit more mature. I'm not going to call them older because I am in that demo as well. Uh, so. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> there you go. So uh, it's up to us to give small little nuggets of information uh, 
uh, to prep other people and uh, let them know what's going on in the world. But things that they care about, not things that are very pop culture all the time. So I may not go on the air today and talk about Kim Kardashian because I got to be honest, it's not really going to affect your life all that much and it's not going to affect my life all that much. But I have to think about the type of people that are listening and what would affect their life. Mm-hmm. So people, obviously, they care about some of the basics. They care if they're traveling to work, they want to know about the traffic. Right. So I mean, we make sure that we do lots of traffic reports because that's important, especially with all the bad weather we've been having here in Cleveland. Uh, people want to know, speaking of weather, what the weather is going to be like. It sounds like a, it sounds like a boring <laughs> conversation. People want to know what the weather is going to be like. They really do. People are always planning. Uh, if you've got families, you've got kids that are going to sports, you have uh, things that you're trying to do with them, things that you're trying to plan, weather is important. Talking about different things, uh, what people are cooking, what are, what are the new high-tech gadgets out there? How can I make your life easier? How can I make your life better? What is somebody perhaps that I have talked uh, spoken to and interviewed that was a very positive influence in my life? What's something that the audience could take away from that? Mm -hmm. Uh, What's something that could benefit their lives and make it better? You're consumed with social media if you want to be. You're not consumed with stories and things that could make your life better. Uh, That's my job is to find those things. Uh, So the prep that goes into that is, I mean, it's varied. Yeah. Um, I go to a lot of different sites. I go to a lot of different news sites. I go to a lot of different, I'm on social media a lot, trying to go through all the junk define what's actually important. How far in advance would you plan a show? So are you planning three days in advance? Or is it the day before? Because it's obviously mm-hmm. your real time and things are newsworthy, right? So like, yeah, if you're talking about Kim in three days, then it, it kind of doesn't matter, right? So are you, is it like the the morning before, essentially? Uh, it's Well, my, my show is on from three until seven. Uh, so I'll wake up in the morning and yeah. I will start prepping for the show. Yeah. That, that's kind of and what do, you do it because you also want to be relevant and yeah. you also don't want to say something that uh, is going to be outdated as well. So, I mean, there's a lot that go, goes into it. But, yeah, I'll start you know early in the morning and start going through the different sites. But finding things that are maybe less pop culture-y, I mean, unless it's something big. Right. You know, if something big happens, somebody dies, something like that, you want to be on it if, you know, something's, you know, there's a spaceship landing on Mars like there was yesterday. It's like, you want to be, you know, relevant when you speak of those things. But to me, I'd rather find those stories that you could actually, there's a takeaway. If somebody was to say, Hey, did you listen to Glenn today? Yes. He gave me a good paprikash recipe. And yes, he told me that uh, here's something that will help uh, with my yoga because I've been gaining some weight lately. Small little things that you could take away that make your life better. That's my role. Do you choose the music? I do not. Ugh. Oh, I wish I did. I was going to say, does that bug you? Who, yeah, choose, who chooses the music? Choosing the music happened, um, I think the last time that happened was the uh, late 80s, early Oh, 80s, okay. Where you could actually go and whether you had a CD or whether you had a, a record and actually play what you wanted to play. That's all owned by big corporations now. And wow. they do so much research as to what are the most popular songs, the number one thing that I get is, why do you play this song ad nauseum all the time? And the number one question, or the number one answer that I give them is, 
if you're turning uh, tuning into the radio station, you want to hear your favorite song. So if we're going and playing, you know, the latest Lady Gaga song and we're playing it constantly, you're not listening constantly. You're in, you're out, you're in the car, you're at work, then you come back. There are a lot of at, you know, at work listening stations that when you listen for it eight hours a day, you want to pull your hair out. Right, right. But there are a lot of people that just consume music 20 minutes at a time. Yep. And in that 20 minutes, you want to hear your favorite songs because why else would you listen? Right. You know, our job as as a radio hosts, disc jockeys, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> is to complement the music and to make make everything that you hear a little bit better. Yeah. If the music if the music's terrible and we're not playing the hits, I'm going to have to be really really likable in order for you to stay listening. <laughs> okay, I want to get a little juicy. I want I want to talk about because being on the air that much, like stuff has to go wrong, right? So I want to hear about your most embarrassing moment, like on the air or something that was like, you know, that that's just a lot to be on the air. I'm sure stuff goes wrong. So I'm curious about that. And then I also want to hear kind of your best moment on the air. So I'll, we'll bookend it. Um, my most embarrassing moment uh, happened a little bit earlier in my career uh, when I was asked to uh, host a radio contest outside of the radio station. And the idea of it was, how long would it take Glenn to get arrested? (laughs) And it was, radio was different back then where you didn't have a lot of the parameters that you do now. So everything that happened before, you could never do it now. (laughs) But what they did is they took a car seat, a baby car seat, and they put it on top of my car. And then it was all strapped in, but there was a fake baby in there. And it was my job to drive around one of the cities here with the car seat on top of a car and find out how long it took for the cops to pull me over. So uh, <laughs> I was live with the, uh, with the host at the time. And I said, yeah, I'm over here. I'm driving around Parma, Ohio, and I'm going down this street and people are honking, but there's no cops anywhere. And so this continued for about 45 minutes before anybody came and then all of a sudden i went down one of the main streets and i had 12 cops and i had three motorcycle cops and the chief of police i think it was the whole police force that came and pulled me over and it was like a full-blown pull me out of the car put me up against it put the handcuffs on and it was very dramatic and i was charged with inducing panic which is the same as calling in a bomb threat today, uh, sending you know some powder you know to Washington D.C. Right. that could blow up, and I was facing three years in jail and a huge fine. Oh my! And so they, all this stuff played out on the air for a while, and I just I remember thinking to myself at the moment that it was kind of cool because of the amount of hype that it incurred, you know, with the, with the newspapers and, and the, the news stations and everyone was talking about it until I kind of realized, oh, this is kind of serious. Right. And I could get a record here and this could follow me. And my mom was up at night and she was crying. It's, why are you doing this? I'm like, I don't know. I'm trying to make a name for myself. <laughs> oh my I'm trying to do stuff. And I just remember thinking, what a, what a terrible way to try and go and get right. people to listen to you. Was it dramatic? Yes. But was there a real was there a real factor to what could have happened? I eventually 
we had like four or five lawyers, the station lawyer was in there. Uh, it cost the radio station thousands of dollars. In, in looking at something like that, I just thought to myself, what an embarrassing way to make a name for yourself. And as I've grown and matured, uh, I started thinking about ways that I could actually try to make a name for myself now yeah. that wouldn't get me arrested. <laughs> it's like a good life lesson. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> and what about, would you say, I bet there's a lot more on the other side. So tell me about one, though, that sticks out in terms of one of the best moments being on air. I never want to go and name, and name drop because I always think that that's somewhat lame. But there were there were things that there were things that we got to do that I was so glad that I was able to do them. When I got into radio, I thought there were a couple of goals that I that I had. There were a couple of people that I wanted to interview. There were a couple of things that I wanted to do. And one of the things that I always wanted to do was be able to broadcast on location. This was this was one of the things that I thought of in the beginning. How cool would it be to be able to take a show? and be able to go someplace and say, hey, here's where I am. This is where you need to be. How fun could this be? And I got that opportunity uh, by going and I got to broadcast for 10 days on a Disney cruise. Uh. And I got to do the show from, you know, like the island of St. Martin and St. Thomas. And and I, I got to say, hey, this was great. And you need to be here and kind of try to sell course the disney people really wanted me to sell it right right <laughs> uh you know that i got to do this but i just got to there was one day when i was just sitting on the beach and i thought to myself this is kind of cool this is a, a cool way to be able to go and and make a living yeah and you know when you combine some of the experiences that you get selfishly with some of the experiences that you get with other people and when people come back and tell you hey i heard this i hate i heard that i was in a bad spot and now I'm in a good spot. You combine all of that stuff and radio and broadcast is one of the greatest careers should you choose to go into it and how you approach it. Yeah, that's awesome. That is awesome. So I want, I'm curious, and I asked this for a lot of my guests. So if you think about your young adult life, so you think about yourself kind of like middle school, high school, right? When you're kind of in your formative years, is there anything at that time that you learned either like it was either a success or a challenge or something that sort of sticks out that shaped how you approach how you handle things today right like because i'm hearing like a lot of positivity i hear a lot of compassion and like focus on community and helping and doing for others and you know part of my hope in this podcast is that someone that maybe is at at an intersection right having a tough time maybe they're not sure what to do next or you know, those are some challenging times, those like middle school and high school times. And so they might mm-hmm. hear someone's story and then say, oh my gosh, look, you know, look where Glenn ended up. And maybe that's something that can happen for me too. So I'm curious if there's anything in that space that you might be willing to share. I think people could look at those years and you could do one of two things. You could either blame what happened to you on your childhood, or you could use some of the things that happened in your childhood and make those happen for good. Mm-hmm. I, in my own particular situation, grew up without a dad. I was the man of the house. Um, it was just my sister and it was my mom. And I was forced to kind of be the consoling person at a very young age. And I remember when my mom got divorced and holding her on her bed as she cried. Wow. And that was, a, that was something that really stood out to me because 
I felt I needed to do it in that moment. And ever since doing that, I kind of felt that I was different than a lot of people. Uh, my sensitivity obviously grew from that because mm. it had to. And I didn't have a male figure that was teaching me how to be tough and teaching me how to be manly and how you don't show feelings. You just, you know, you provide and you do this and you just, you know, you put your head down and you work hard. I didn't have anybody teaching me that. I had a mom that was very fragile at the time that needed my help. And I needed to go and step up and be somebody that would make her feel better. So I always felt that I grew up differently in the sense that I was probably a little bit more compassionate than a lot of kids my age. And I still face that today. I'm still way more compassionate than any of my, my guy friends. And they'll make fun of me for it. And they'll say, oh, you're Mr. Sensitive and this and that. And you know how to, you know how to talk to girls and you know how to really reach in and, and speak to people. And I look at not growing up with a dad as a benefit to me. Because I know a lot of people come from broken homes. Right, right. A lot of people will use that and say, well, I, my mom didn't provide or she was always at work. So I was always on my own and I couldn't do anything. And I was always held down and we didn't have money and we didn't have this. So that's why I'm this way. And I see people that go and make those excuses. And I said that you, you have one of two paths at that point. You either use it to make you stronger yeah. or you go and you say, well, this is the reason why I'm all messed up. And I just, I never wanted to do that because I felt I had a responsibility in my family. And I still kind of look at it that way now. My wife is the strong one and she's the one who is working so many hours and providing and she puts her head down and she, she loves so strongly, but she loves in a very different way than I do. If you'd like to advertise with Relatable, please email us at info at tfreemanassociates.com. How old were you? I was like eight, seven, eight years old, something like that. I might have been a little bit, a little bit younger. I think the, the differences in, in the family dynamics now work so well because if I was exclusively in charge of my family, we wouldn't get anything done. I'd be hugging everybody. I'd be like, oh, I'd be crying with everybody. I cry all the time. There's not a day that goes by that I don't cry. Yeah. I don't care if it's a TV show. I don't care if I'm watching Titanic for the 30th time and Jack falls into the water. I know he's going to die, but I'm still going to cry. Seems like a model of mine. I, first of all, I want to say thank you for being so open and sharing that. Like, that's really vulnerable. And I feel like, I feel so similar in that, you know, sadly, it may be a product of where we are these days, but a lot of people have a fair amount of dysfunction they're working through in terms of their upbringing, or maybe it's even post that. And, you know, with with this whole bullying issue with cyberbullying, you know, there's just so many things that people I think are having to face and work through and that are challenges for people. And, and I also believe that those kind of experiences build character and they build resilience and you figure out kind of what you're made of. And, and you also figure out like at eight, I mean, that's very traumatic. And then at the same time, recognizing that your 
compassionate and helping someone else. And like you, you're seeing that you're seeing that kind of benefit of being there for another person in a way that's not entirely normal. And to your point, you can like wrap yourself up in that and say, I didn't have this like very stable nurturing situation, but then that's kind of what makes you who you are and makes you successful today. So I, I'm with you 100% that there's all these great ways that you can learn from difficulties and failures and you know trying times and that and just to the I mean having your 25 year career and this kind of cutthroat business I think is a reflection of that it seems like like your ability to kind of navigate that and and sort of work through what I'm sure was difficult at times well, yes and but it also took a long time to realize that those were strengths and not mm. weaknesses uh, I would have love to have been able to have been that 8, 10, 12, 20 year old kid that realized that all of those qualities that I had were strengths, but I didn't. I had to really, really work through the fact that those were strengths. Mm. I was beat up and bullied as a kid tremendously. I, I remember one time I got off the bus and the bully got off the bus with me and beat the crap out of me in front of my mom on our front lawn and she was screaming and saying stop 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 and he had no reason to beat me up other than the fact that i was weaker than he was and i was more emotional than he was and i was a sissy and all the things that they called me and it's like at that moment i you start thinking to yourself well maybe i do need to change maybe this really is a weakness i don't want to get my butt kicked every single day Right. Because I'm this way, maybe I got to be tougher. Maybe I got to go and, and learn how to fight. And maybe I need to start smoking and hanging out with all the people under the bridge, you know, that are tough people, you know? And I just, I just couldn't do it because it just wasn't authentic. It took me a long time to realize that those are strengths. We did a, we did a broadcast one time about what happened to your bully when you were younger. It was one of my most favorite, really interesting shows. Because obviously, that any bully that you have, you never forget them. You never forget their name. You don't forget what they did to you. And we we talked about this on the air. We talked about it at length. And I brought it up and I said, yeah, his name was Frank. And he used to bother me every single day. And here's what he did. And here's why he did it. Frank's sister called into the show and said, Frank is in jail for murder right now. He was at a corner bar that was right around the corner from my house, got into a fight with somebody and ended up killing the person in the bar. And I just, I got goosebumps thinking about what had happened, thinking about this could have been me and who knows, but also understanding that because of the way of his path, it just kind of made sense that that was what would happen. And he's still in jail today. Wow. And his sister and a lot of other people have come out and have apologized. I was young. I was dumb. Can't believe I did that. Thank you for being out there. And everybody's got the same story. There's nothing different about my story. It's just my vehicle being able to bring it to light a little bit later in life helped to have some reconciliation to everything that had happened. Wow. My mind brings a little bit of comfort, but also I think about the people that don't have that opportunity and they have to think about that bully and it affects them the rest of their life. Bullies are horrific and they have no idea how impactful they are on their victims. That's the part that's sad. 
Yeah, and I think when that's happening, typically it's these really formative years where you're developing your self-worth and you're trying to figure out your place in the world and in society, and it really messes with you. I, you know, we talk a lot about with our kids, like, who you choose to spend your time with and who you hang out with, like, says a lot about who you are. Now, how do you make good choices in that regard? Because so much of, like, we can do everything we want as parents to try to influence good outcomes, but at the end of the day, that peer group and who you choose to spend time with and surround yourself with becomes, I think, it certainly saved me from, it made me a more of an achiever and more focused on what could be because I surrounded myself with smart people that, like, were going places. But don't you think that it could it could have taken just one bad friend to completely yes. change the life that you have? Yes. Like one one path, one hangout with somebody, one yeah, I guess I'll go and try whatever it is that you're doing, one chance at doing some drugs, one chance of doing this, it could have changed everything. That's my greatest fear as a parent. Yeah. Because yep. I see some of the people that my kids hang out with and I think to myself, like I have my favorites. And I try to steer them like, hey, you need to hang out with this person. This is who you need to be. You don't yeah. need to hang out with these. Yeah. You can't do that. That's what keeps you up at night thinking, boy, if just one of them goes down this path and my daughter or son goes down that path with them, how will that change the rest of their life? That's tough. But that luckily it worked out for you. And hopefully it'll work out for your kids. Yeah. Hopefully it'll work out for mine. You got to just think that the direction that you gave them will give them the morals to make the right decision. You just gave me an idea. It's kind of, I just popped into my head and then I have one other question is, in terms of your being a radio host and having the show now, you know, I would think you're more in the spotlight right there. And so do you ever wonder about how that impacts your kids? Is there any connection to you being high profile or visible or having that kind of I don't know if fame is the right word, but do you ever think about or do you see any impact that they, I mean, it's probably really cool, right? We have a, in our neighborhood, we have a one of my sons, his friends, his dad's a weatherman for Channel 7, <laughs> and they're really good. And he, I heard my son say to him the other day, man, it's pretty cool that your dad's on TV, right? Like you kind of, I heard this conversation happening. And I mean, so from that perspective, it'd be like, yeah, my dad's on the radio and I get to hear him and that's cool. Is there anything that you kind of worry about from that perspective? I worry about, well, luckily I'm not controversial because if I, I, I think if I said more controversial things, mm -hmm. then I would worry tremendously about my kids. Obviously, I don't talk about where I live. I talk about the city that I live in, yeah. but I don't talk about my particular address. Uh, so I'm, I'm careful like that, especially on social media. Right. But my thing that I worry about with them now is getting some advantages because of... Yeah of who I might be rather than them going and getting those things on their own. You know, sometimes, you know, before they would be able to, they made certain teams and uh, certain sports teams. And, you know, sometimes there's those rumblings of, oh, well, so-and-so doesn't have the talent, but they, they got that opportunity because of this mm -hmm. or because of Glenn or because they know that, Glenn could go and talk about their organization on the on the on the radio and maybe get them to have more recruits that I'm very very conscious of because I don't want anything free if you want to bring some food to the radio station I'm not going to say no <laughs> but I don't want something to happen to my kids right. or to me based on who I am 
I want them to be able to earn it because I know if my sons or daughters make it into a situation that a lot of other people did not and the chatter is because of who I am, right. then that has the, the possibility of people being able to bully them. And right. that I just had to be super, you know, super careful for. Yeah. You know, do they go in, uh, at concerts when, remember concerts? Um, uh, <laughs> you know, do, do they go and get to meet, you know, people sometimes yeah. based on my job? Yes, but it's based on my job. It's not because of who I am. It's I'm at the concert. The idea is to go in to meet the people, uh, to let people know about so-and-so. And then that's what it is. But in terms of what they do, school-wise, sports-wise, anything like that, I'm, I'm very careful to make sure that it's because of them and not because of any other outside yeah. influence. Because not only do the kids talk, but the parents talk, and everybody's all catty. I don't want that. I don't like the parent drama. I don't. I just. I want to come and, and go and play the sports and then and then leave. Right. That's right. All. I'm sure. That's all. That's all. That's not asking a lot, is it? <laughs> um, and it's a little bit of an awkward segue, but I'm going to try to connect it. Uh, given you've you've mentioned a couple of things throughout this conversation around building relationships, and I think one of the things you've said, and it's not necessarily you haven't said it so directly, but what I've heard is that you're someone who adds value, like as whatever capacity you're in, like you talked about, even now that it's your show and you showing up somewhere and you're going to help kind of put the thing together, even though it's not technically your job anymore, or, you know, you have this music capability. And so you figured out a way to add that value. I'm curious when you think about, I'm very passionate about soft skills development. I'm very passionate about the fact that we've spent a lot of time developing people now, both you know, sort of at the undergraduate level and then even in professional life where the technical skills are so important that I think we're not spending enough time on on the soft skills side of things and we're not spending a lot of time developing your ability to influence, to communicate, to present, to collaborate. They're, these are skills that are kind of a dying breed. And, you know, when I was growing up, my dad would say things like, this is a command performance, and that meant... I'm looking at people in the eye. That meant I'm asking questions. That meant, you know, it was just built in how I was raised. And I, at the time, it was really irritating. But now I'm so grateful for that because I can pretty much do that with anybody. And I enjoy it and I actually get a lot from it. So I'm curious, I mean, in the in the world of radio, I imagine there's a lot that you could call on in terms of important skills. But if you're someone that's thinking about entering this space or trying to develop certain skills that you think would help be success factors in the, on the soft skill side, what would you recommend? The, one of the main issues that I see today is how isolated people have become. Mm -hmm. There's a number of things that have isolated us. It's obviously social media. It's the ability to be able to speak behind a phone, uh, behind a camera behind a microphone. There are a lot of opportunities for us to be isolated people where we don't necessarily have to take accountability for our actions, which is why so many bad things happen today. You know, the ability to be able to Snapchat and have whatever you say be gone in a second gives people a lot of mm -hmm. thoughts that they wouldn't have if that wasn't available. Right. So I think the world that we live in today is causing us to be very, very 
one-sided in our thinking and our communication. And that's a problem. And the more that that happens, the more you don't want to go and venture out and talk to people. We're coming, we're becoming very, very uh, introverted in, our, in the way that we handle everything. Yeah. I know in my world, in radio, I'm in a really, really small studio. The studio is maybe 10 feet by 10 feet. And I broadcast to hundreds of thousands of people, yet I'm in this small little box. So therefore, I'm just speaking to myself. It's when I have to go and get in front of large groups of people that I realize, oh, people are actually listening. There's actually people out there. I have to think about my communication skills at that point. But we don't practice communication on a daily basis. We just don't. The way that we communicate on phones or on FaceTime is not how we communicate in person. How many people have you talked to that are so comfortable behind a phone or uh, not seeing you? you know, like a phone still go and just talk to people. But then when you're with them in a public setting, they're in the corner, their arms are crossed, or they don't know how to speak to you or look you in the eye. Right. It's something that needs to be practiced. And it's something that you need to put yourself in the situations to force yourself to be around people. You need to, you know, I, I do wedding DJ stuff uh, on the side, or I did uh, when weddings were a thing. And going and being able to play music and seeing people and interacting with people, it's uncomfortable. There, I mean, there are very few people that really love speaking in front of large groups of people. You know, I've done arena things you know where you have the echo and things like that yeah, yeah and you know thousands of people are listening to you it's uncomfortable but it's uncomfortable because you don't do it all the time so to me it's going into that uncomfortable area and trying to find opportunities to do that because otherwise you're going to be a recluse and a hermit and you're not going to look people in the eye and that's only going to get worse the older you get because all of those habits that you have uh, are going to have to be unlearned at some point and there'll come a point where you just it feels so bad that you can't do it yeah my mom recently went to visit my sister in uh in washington dc for the first time and my sister has been gone from the house for like 15 years and my mom has not gone and visited her you know why because she hasn't traveled in that amount of time and the longer you don't do something, yeah. the more, the harder becomes. Yeah. And then you start coming up with all these ideas as to psyching yourself out. Well, I can't get on a plane because of this and that. A plane's going to go down. And you can't go and act normally because you're so consumed by your fears. Yet, if she was to travel once in a while and then do it again at a reasonable length from the first time, then all of a sudden it becomes easier. And what we have to tell everybody that's getting into uh, business today and trying to find things to do is to do those uncomfortable things on a more regular basis so that it doesn't become as astronomically hard as we have made it. Being in a business where I communicate, I constantly have to talk in front of people. Right. And you know, seeing people and doing things so it becomes natural to me. And if everybody would find a way to be able to speak to people on a regular basis, engage with the person in the cubicle, engage with your bosses, 
I try to make it a point of mine to reach out to a couple people on my phone a week. Hey, what are you doing? Would you like to talk? Guys, girls, doesn't matter. People that I don't talk to on a regular basis. Hi, how are you? How you doing? What's new in your world? Oh my goodness, it's so nice to hear from you. And then you find something in common and you form that bond. When you hang up with somebody that does that, they sit back and they say, wow, that was nice. Yeah. It was nice to connect. People don't connect. Finding people to connect with, even in a job situation where you don't connect on a regular basis, is key to not only perfecting your communication skills, but just your life skills. It's so important. Really is. Very oh my passionate. gosh. Oh my gosh. Well, Glenn just gave us our commercial, Missy, that we, you know, we're working on. <laughs> you just, I, I just can like put my shingle out and I'll just put your recording of everything you just said. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And it's interesting, we, when we were pre-COVID, I was doing a lot of workshops in person with, with teens and young adults. And then we had to move to doing this online stuff. And I was fascinated that some parents would come to me and say, well, my kid is so much more comfortable coming to the online class than coming to the in-person class. And I have a feeling about this too, which is, I'm surprised at how some parents are really not the decision maker. So that that the kid has enough of a voice or has so much power that they're not going to go and make them be in person because that's uncomfortable to them. So this whole thing that you're saying about being uncomfortable and facing your fears and, you know, I feel like the earlier you do that and all the people that we've talked to, we've had now a lot of conversations on this podcast and the really super successful the really happy, the really fulfilled people are people that have pushed themselves through discomfort and fear and doing what is hard because that's where the good stuff comes from. So I so appreciate everything you said and your perspective because I agree and I think it just is going to get more and more challenging with the ease of technology and there is something about this i don't know what this can be called the fourth wall the third wall. i don't know what this is like the the video <laughs> wall. wall yeah just the wall yeah no, I, I think as parents you hit the nail on the head when you talked about wanting to make our kids comfortable because i think as parents we all want to do that and we don't want to see our, our kids struggle i remember growing up my mom i'd be on the playground and my mom i'd, I'd start to climb the monkey bars and she'd be right underneath me I don't want you to fall. Mom, I'm okay. No, 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 I don't want you to fall. And so a lot of my life, I was treated in the sense of, I, w I was really coddled in a way. And I see that coddling, it, it just, it doesn't help the kids grow. Right. Like it, it really doesn't. As parents, we feel like that's what we need to do because we don't want to see them have pain. I don't want to see my daughter cry. I don't want to see my daughter fall. I don't want to see my kids, you know, get into a fight. I want to go there and fight it for them. It, we're doing a disservice to yeah. them where they become unable to be functioning adults. Yeah. And that's why I've had to really work hard through that. I remember the, my first day on the air, I was, I didn't eat, I didn't eat for three days and I, my stomach and I was nervous and shaking and it was just, it was a horrific, horrific experience until I did it. And then it was amazing. Yeah, that's such a great, oh, that's such a great lesson. I, you gave us so much time and you were so open and I really, really appreciate it. I can't thank you enough. I feel like this is going to be a great 
episode and people will get so much out of it. Hey, that's awesome. I appreciate the time and, and thanks for uh, thinking of me. And if you ever need anything in the future, or if you want to come down to the uh, radio station and, and uh, check everything out, I would, I would love that. You're a very positive human being. And I like surrounding myself with positive people. You too, Missy, even though I didn't hear all that much from you. Um, I appreciate you all uh, very much and, and God bless you all and, and uh, have a, a wonderful night. Thank you. Thank you, Glenn. Thank you so much for your time and for all those juicy nuggets about life and radio. I really appreciate your sincerity and openness about being sensitive and how it took some time to see that as a strength. Also loved everything you had to say about the importance of strong communication skills, the power of being uncomfortable, and how that can be our greatest gift if we let it. Thank you to Missy for producing this episode, and thank you to our relatable community and listeners. We're so thankful for your support and listenership. If you get a moment, please subscribe to Relatable, rate us, and leave comments so we can be found on your favorite listening platform. Relatable is sponsored by Teresa Freeman Associates, and you can follow us on Twitter and the TFA Facebook page. Until next time, this is Teresa Freeman with Relatable. Stay connected.